bum, 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 bum. I love the music. I cannot help but reference it every time I hear it when I'm recording in your ears here. Hey everybody, it's Chase. What's up? Thanks so much for having me in your ears. Welcome to another episode of the show. This is the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live, and I am very pumped to be coming at you with another episode, an incredible episode today with the guest, Sally Cohn. She is an amazing author of the new book, which is just out, called The Opposite of Hate. I gotta tell you, the first time I saw the title, I was like, wait a minute, why is this, what's the, why negative? What about love? This is an amazing book that helps us all see that connection is the most important thing in our culture today, and it's in part what it means to be human. We do a great job in this conversation of connecting it to art. That's part of the reason that you pay attention to me and to us and to Creative Live is the creativity that's inherent in all of us. Now, we're not saying we all have to use it for this all the time, but what an amazing vehicle that creativity can be for connection. Of course, there's this, there's an amazing, um, or an amazing time in history where there is, there are so many voices and the voices that uh, are the dominant ones in pop culture are sometimes uh, loud and sometimes things we don't agree with. This book does such a good job of helping us bridge the gap with t very, very tactical stuff. And so Sally's background is originally as a community organizer, secondarily then as a writer for the New York Times and the Washington Post and others. And she's even been a television commentator uh, where she's been on both CNN and Fox News. I found this amazing and she has that ability to sort of connect disparate views in a way that I've rarely seen, certainly not in popular culture icons like Sally. So this is an incredible episode where we see the healing and connecting power of the creativity that we all have inside us and I cannot wait for you to get into it. So much goodness here. We, do, we talk about everything from Brene Brown who's uh, been on so many episodes of the show to Tolstoy, pop culture, uh, and some, we get into some theoretical and some very, very tactical things that we can all do to be more awesome humans. I love this episode. I know you're going to go crazy for it. So please tune in and enjoy the show. Quick note before we do from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons 
for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. ever man because like go. half of it wasn't true <laughs> i love it right like i'm not a columnist you're not a the columnist. new york times you're a writer Post, but i've written for them thank Th- you this is i used to be a commentator at fox news now i i work for cnn and uh, i don't know if we can technically call the book a bestseller yet but from your lips to amazon's hey i tell you what all of the people that that uh, I pay attention to who you are either on their show or i've seen some of the tv stuff that you've been like the TED Talk, incredible! I will bet Thank all you. of the money. Thank you. Well, that this I, is listen, delivering. I, look at look at my are, copy. It's know, just got all the dog I, ears and the. I'm such a nerd. I just mostly love that people <laughs> are reading it, engaging with it, and finding it useful and helpful and inspiring. And it's leading to a lot of good and interesting and challenging and and conversations. And that's that's mm. what I wanted to do. Amazing conversations, and that is part of what I would like to have today. Uh, I think I, we talked right before we started rolling. Uh, I came into your work originally on the TED Talk, um, but also, you know, the, the community that, that this show reaches largely identifies as creative or aspiring to be creative. And the, there's a bully and an online, like, troll part of the book oh. that I found really interesting yeah. because there's a lot of fear for creatives, especially early in their career, putting themselves out there and, like, who's not going to like my work or whatever. And... I love that right off the book, right right off the bat in your book, you talk about you actually were one of those people, not an online troll, but you were a bully, and you mm. open your TED talk also with a story about bullying. And I thought maybe you could share that story and how that relates to your work. You know, no matter how many times I talk about that, it yeah. still feels like a yep. punch to the gut. Right yep. when I was in elementary school, I, I was a bully. I was a mean kid. I was a jerk. I was a whatever word we want to use. Um, it wasn't bully. wasn't necessarily a word that was used kind of in the with the ubiquity it is now. Yep. Um, but I was mean to other kids for little to no good reason whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and uh, I tell the story, uh, the one that I regret the most, the person I picked on the most, Vicky. who I feel the worst about, who in the book I call Vicky. And uh, in the TED Talk and in the book tell, you know, story of torture. And, you know, it wasn't people have done worse, people have gone through worse. People. Yeah. But for me it was to kind of reckon with this later in life when I think of myself as a pretty nice person and yeah. as a good person. And especially when I started getting trolls, right? So when I started getting hate mail and attacked on Twitter by yep. people mm-hmm. I didn't even know, my sort of first thought was like, <laughs> person does like yeah. who does this who does this to a complete stranger who's mean yep. to someone for no good reason whatsoever and then i realized oh you were oh me <laughs> right like yeah. and and that ultimately is sort of the core lesson i hope people take from the book which is look the truth is we all have the capacity for cruelty we all have the capacity for kindness mm-hmm. we all have the capacity for hate we all have the capacity for its opposite at any given moment uh past present future so the question then becomes not just get, we have to recognize we're all part of the problem, but then can each of us be part of the solution? Yes. I love that the book is relevant in so many ways. It's, I think if someone's listening to the conversation so far or knows a little bit about your work or a lot, 
You might say, oh, there's a political angle. To me, the politics is like baked into everything. There's like everything in some way is political, mm -hmm. even if we're um, just in, in the social contract that we have existing in society. Yes. Um, but to me, the human part that, that you just highlighted, that we all have the capacity for good and evil, love and the opposite, or love and hate or whatever mm -hmm. you, you uh, so when you say, I have this thing that I'm sharing, which is like I'm divulging that I was a bully, haven't we all both bullied and been bullied? And so is this a yeah. particular, like, are you, are you coming at this from a, like, you're, you're special because you were an extra bully? Or? Oh, I don't think I, I mean, I'm not sure that I was terribly, I'm not sure I'm terribly remarkable in any way. I, I do think there was something about uh, our psychology, and I get into this in the book, our psychology mm -hmm. as human beings and our culture at this moment in time, mm -hmm. where we tend to focus on the ways in which we, each of us, are hurt pushed to the side, marginalized, victimized, and that is true. That's not to discount that, sure. right? That is, in fact, the reason I wrote the book is because I think we have a brutal, ugly history of hate yes. and still in our present today that we have not reckoned with. You so that is real. In the book. That is yeah. real. Yep. And at the same time, what we don't do enough of, I don't think, is take responsibility for the ways in which each of us simultaneously also is the oppressor or the perpetrator or the hate monger or the, right? Consciously, unconsciously, you know, in small ways and big ways. Yep. And, and to me, and look, um, the way I found, this comes back to my experience at Fox News, to me the best way to have a conversation with someone is not to point fingers at them and accuse them. Right? Yeah, that's just never nobody, good. Right. nobody likes it. Well, right. just like, and there's, the, I look, you know, in the neuroscience, the when that happens, when someone feels like they're being attacked or argued with, their persuasion, rational thinking parts of the brain shut down, and the fight or flight parts turn on, and they just pick a side, and they're not picking your side because that's why you were arguing with them in the first place. <laughs> so that doesn't work. And what I've found is the best way to get someone to see themselves is to work through and show you're struggling to see yourself too, right? To say, look, I'm not here accusing you or just accusing you of being this or that or having these biases or those biases, I have them too. Yeah. And that that becomes then, there's a certain space, right? And I actually think that's one of the things that creatives do the best in our society is help people see themselves by, by the, through art and through work and through culture, showing yourself. Yes, brilliant. You just, okay, we can Thanks, go man. home now. Yeah. We're done. Like, Margarita we're done. time. Margarita's <laughs> no, on the like, deck. That was <laughs> like, that, that's the thesis that I sort of walked in. I try and walk in with some point of view. And, hmm. and I think part of what we talk about in, at Creative Live and just in general, I think, for the, in the creative community is you got to show up. You got to do the work. And the work that Brene Brown, you're probably familiar with her. She's been on the show many, many times. Love Brene. And, yeah. Yes. And, you know, this. Quote her in the book. Yes. Yeah. The act of being vulnerable mm -hmm. is what makes or is a major component of making art powerful. And if you're not being it's vulnerable. It's also what makes people artists. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, it is what, like, allows. I mean, I'm not. I don't. We are having this discussion before. I don't you really are. think of my. Well, whatever. But, like, the, the people I think of as artists are incredibly exposed and sort of allow, they don't just rub raw the nerves of the world and 
politics and dynamics, they themselves are like raw nerves walking around in the world. Yeah. Um, helping people understand pain and experience and suffering and beauty and kindness and, yeah. and you know, I will say this much. One of the things, um, one of the takeaways for me, and this is hard, and this is hard if you're putting yourself out there and you believe in something, you believe in your, whether it's your, your the piece you've made or your mission or your whatever. Someone said to me, you know, once you, when you step out, right, half the people are going to hate you immediately. Now, I don't know if that's 100% true, like it's ha whatever, and it's... It's a big number, yeah. But, you know, there's a, there's a piece where you do have to become to be vulnerable. There's a paradox, yes. right? Oh, that if you this. are yep. making yourself vulnerable, right, if you, that means you have the capacity to open yourself up, expose yourself, interrogate yourself, show yourself, that also means you have opened yourself up to be, uh, you know, exposed, wounded, hurt, right? I mean, that's, that's, that is the paradox, I think, of art and creativity and public discourse and democracy, right, and engagement yeah. in our time. Yeah. And that's not easy. That is not an easy paradox to, rec to reconcile. Well, let me, if I may, uh, address how I think what you've done is wildly creative. Hmm. And the, the paradox that you just cited is also, I think, wildly able to be seen in that you have identified politically as very liberal, and yet you worked at Fox News. And also at CNN. It was a form of protest art? Yes. <laughs> but I think that, you know, when you're, like, you're in intentionally putting yourself in that position, whether it's to make your voice heard or to represent a view in a world that wasn't, like, I don't know, I'm presuming, but maybe you can share with us, like, and to, yeah, that's what I think our culture needs, and I think it's a huge message of your book, is putting yourself out there, but um, I just, I'm fascinated by that, and I think the parallels between art and vulnerability and putting yourself out there, maybe you could make them, make that case for us in, the, in your own experience of of being on both Fox and CNN, which right. are seen as, as opposites. You know, I, look, I think there's lots of reasons to have a voice in the world and to use your voice in creative and powerful ways. And one of those ways is certainly to be soothing, comforting, stabilizing, encouraging, inspiring to your own community. Yeah. Right? People call that preaching to the choir. I don't think it's preaching to the choir. It's choir rehearsal. Like... <laughs> That's, that's valuable. Yep, for that's sure. important. And mm -hmm. to provide spaces for healing and, you know, for sharing and for, right? That's valuable. Before I went to the media, I spent 15 years as a community organizer. My life's work then and still now is to make change in the world. And part of the way that I make change, there's lots of different ways. One of the ways I make change is to change institutions, systems, and policies of injustice and inequity. And those things tend to not change unless people change, right? Because it's people who have the role in setting, it's, it's more complicated than that to get into in the book, but there is this relationship between institutional structural change and the individual. And I happen to be, because of my background, because of who I am, because of my you know, privilege in life, because of being you know, stubborn, whatever we wanna call it, able to move and have certain conversations with certain people that other people don't feel like they can or want to have. Fair. Cool, their choice. For me, it, part, part of the reason I ended up writing this book is it took me a minute, more than a minute, to 
realize that all the people on the other side were not irredeemable, were not just totally and completely hateful. I thought some of the things they believed in, some of the things they were voting for were hateful, but as people, they, they were not just that, right? Brian Stevenson, who wrote the book Just Mercy, who was one of my professors, he says, uh, and has done, does incredible work um, uh, against the death penalty and to have the country wrestle and reckon with our history of racial inequality and, and lynching and violence. Brian Stevenson says, none of us are the worst thing we've ever done. Now, we often want that to be true for us. The question is, can it be true for others, right? Not just our side, but the other side. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard, right? So one of the people I talked to in the book, this is the more extreme example, uh, is an ex-neo-Nazi. And a lot of people are really, um, you know, I've had people come up privately and, and in events and they say, why would you even talk to him? Why would you even write? Why would you even? Yeah, this is a no-fly zone. He's an ex-neo-Nazi. Like, yeah. And second of all, I'd rather, given a choice between more neo him staying a neo-Nazi and being an ex-neo-Nazi, I'm going to choose ex-neo-Nazi. You know, I mean, like, it's, to me, it's not even a, right? And now he is, you know, he went from being the top white power movement recruiter in North America and head of the most popular white power band of the world to now being a Buddhist who runs a service learning organization with his South Asian best friend. Given those two choices, I'm picking change. Yeah. And I believe, because you see him do it, you see other people, you believe people can, people can change. Yes. We have to actually give them the hope, the opportunity, the encouragement, the, the reasons, the challenging, right? The, uh -huh. To give people a chance to change. There's the, the Tolstoy quote at the end of the book that I find so powerful, which mm. is, we all want it, we all, something along, I'm going to butcher this beautiful quote, but That's it's, right. we all want to have change in the world. We just don't want to make the change ourselves. And what, you know, when I read that bit about the, the neo-Nazi, ex-neo-Nazi, make sure to call him that, and to see that powerful change and you know, maybe you could recount a little bit more of that story because there's so many good stories. You go to the Middle East, um, you, know, you, you investigate both sides of lots of issues, mm. and I think that's part of the power of the book. But maybe if you could recap for us just as an anecdote for our conversation here, what is, what did you find when you had the conversation with the ex-neo-Nazi? So, sort of putting aside that other pragmatic piece about like, again, here it's we a are. It's no-fly zone. Here what are we you doing? are. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, here we are. Like, I understand people don't want to engage, but here we are. Yeah. And if you have the opportunity and think you can make a difference, and right through your speech or your art or your right, then right. that's why. That's why I'd we're rather, here. For sure, that's me, literally why we're me, talking I'm, about. Me, I'm hoping for change. I'd yeah. like there to be fewer neo-Nazis yeah. and hate mongers in the world in general. I'm just right. gonna totally. go out on a limb and say that. But it's also um, before you go on, yeah, no, it's no, very no. clear that we make known for this conversation that it's not about that. This is about the change that we want to see in the world and cool. how you go about, that's why we're having this conversation. It's culturally relevant for sure, but also specifically for the populations of creators. Like what do you want to do? What do you want to say with your art, with your point of view? Having a point of view is an important part of being human. Well, and look, I'm gonna just make a footnote here, which is I'm not saying that to, to do this, you let go of your deeply held beliefs, 
right? Yeah. I think our differences and our disagreements as people are what make us great, right? So, I literally yeah. argue about politics for a living, so I'm not letting go of my viewpoints anytime soon. Yeah. The question is, can we do it in a way that is that creates space for learning and grace and compassion and forgiveness, as opposed to a scorched earth, for me to be right, you have to be wrong, for me to win, you have to lose, for me to be good, you have to be evil, yeah. uh, that locks us into the dynamic that, that leads to no change and leads to nothing good. Mm -hmm. um, so Arno uh, Michaelis, who's the um, ex-neo-Nazi in the book, um, is fascinating in so many ways. Uh, and, but one of the ways I will say that is, <laughs> was one of my big takeaways from this process is, you know, and there's research, by the way, of current neo-Nazis and current terrorists that most people, even at those extremes that we would go, well, of course they think they're hateful. Most people don't think they're hateful. Most people don't think they're hateful. Most people think they are reacting to the hate of others. So same with my trolls. My trolls who said vicious things about me online, I call them up and they say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't hate you. I'm not hateful. You're the hateful one. So we all have this they started approach. What's interesting about Arno is, as a parent especially, as a white person, I was desperate to find something in his life history, in his narrative, that explained how he became a neo-Nazi, so that we could, so that I could tell everyone, hey, don't do these three things, and right, or make sure my kid, and whatever. Yeah. And what's disturbing is, is that there's nothing particularly unique about him. What's disturbing is how rather normal he is. And to realize, and by the way, in story after story in the book, that what is hard to wrestle with when we look at situations of genocide and terrorism is that there is a context that is created in which otherwise good people do horrible things and feel justified doing them. And that doesn't, they're not other, they're not inherently evil, they're not, right, they're us. Yes, they're we. They're yeah. us, they're we. In Arno's case, there's, um, and there's also research that backs this up, his experiences, believe it or not, most people who join extremist hate organizations don't start with the ideology. They don't say, God, I really hate X group, Y group, B group. I'm gonna find a group for that. Like, <laughs> let me Google that, right? Yeah. Instead, they, what they start with is the need to belong, or the desire to belong, right? And, yeah. and the term the researchers use is that they slide into the ideology. And you talk to terrorist recruiters and neo-Nazi recruiters, and it, they, what they're looking for is the disaffected, the loner, the lonely, the right? And they pull them in give them the sense of belonging, and then the identity of hate actually amps up from there. But it's not what we start with. Interesting. And it's also the other piece is to recognize that, like, you want to feel uncomfortable? Reckon with the fact that, okay, then you can go, wait a second, okay, so it wasn't his childhood, it wasn't his town, it wasn't his parents, it wasn't his whatever, it wasn't necessarily that he had this ideology and he was, then how the hell does he become a neo-Nazi? And you go, well, because he was raised in the United States of America, where we have a history of incredibly profound, ugly, and intransigent racism, yeah. and a present of endemic racial bias, and an idea, still enduring ideology of white supremacy, that means anyone could end up in that situation, right? Like, that is the reality yeah. that we have to reckon with. And how do you, uh, speaking of reconciliation, how do you then reconcile, now these are different 
potentially very different orders of magnitude or varying degrees of, but how do you then recognize that you were a bully? Like, does, do you go like, oh, I mean, it's, I think I don't want to align being no, no, a bully no, yeah. with, but conceptually, like, you just went through talking about how you can see it happens and there's this yeah. very, there's a really uh, simple, non, reasonably linear path from A to B to C and you're like, yeah. oh, you just end up there. Yeah. And is the same true for the bully that is inside of all of us or has has at I some point bullied? I think or? we have to all wrestle with the reality that we, in general, mm -hmm. tend to bond more over hate than kindness, right? And there's actually okay. studies, right? So like they've taken college students, for instance, there's a bunch of studies on this, but they've taken college students and they have the college students do a survey where they rank a bunch of professors, which ones they don't like, which ones they like. And then, seemingly unrelated, they're asked to review surveys of other students who have made similar rankings, and they immediately feel more affinity to the other students who disliked the same people they did. Right? That's a, we bond, and that's, so that's inherent, or at least inherent in our current psyche, and yeah. Right. We are incentivizing the heck out of that in our society right now as a whole, right? Yeah. So we are, uh, in our culture, in our news media and social media, we amp up and incentivize and pile on to hate and attacks. And we don't really have the same traction, viral sharing, whatever, around goodness and kindness and whatever. So that is, that is a reality. Now, I'll say this much. For me, again, it goes back to the difference between... Um, guilt and responsibility, right? I think guilt's a very frustrating <laughs> sentiment, right? Yes. And I say this as, a, as, as someone who grew up, grew up Jewish, so I'm very familiar with guilt. I know how it's been used. I know how it was used on me, and it was never constructive. And it's a very, as an adult, guilt is this very um, sort of pious and self-referential kind of thing, right? That it's like, I'm trying to address a situation, but really I'm just in my little turtle shell feeling badly and whatever. It's not constructive, right? You didn't get us here. We didn't, right? Like, you and I aren't responsible for the history of the whatever. We had our peace and we did it. And here we are. And here we are, right? Like, whatever happened that made me a bully and, right, here I am. The question is, what are we going to do going forward? What's each of our responsibility? What's each of our responsibility to look at the dynamics of hate and otherizing and demeaning and dehumanizing certain people and certain groups of people because of their ideas and their identities? What do we do to not just get stuck feeling bad about it, wringing our hands, right, and actually do something? Imperfectly, you're yeah. going to stumble, you're going to whatever, but like be part of the solution. This is an amazing shift in our conversation that I, I'm, you're leading the show here. This is like perfect. So no, now, stop. no, come on, oh, now, come now, on. so what? I mean, I, I know some things because I've read the book, but <laughs> what, <laughs> prescribe yeah. that to us. Like, how do we get great, how do we look at, and this is, I think, where art plays this amazing, mm -hmm. potentially amazing role in this solution. Uh, but what, what's your prescription? So I, my first piece is I'd like us to move past arguing about whether we have a problem. Like, it would be nice if we could stop arguing. We are still, as, in general as a country, locked in a debate about whether there is 
racial inequality and gender inequality and, and whether they matter and whether economic inequality is structurally created or just natural and inevitable. And, and then we also are having a whole other, you know, related argument about whether implicit bias, unconscious bias is real argument. and isn't right. <laughs> and it's like, we got mounds of research, mounds of evidence, a whole hit, like, could we stop arguing about that? It's, it's very similar, obviously, in a profoundly different way, but it's similar to how I feel about climate change. Like, wait a second, why are we still arguing about whether it's real when we, at the very least, we could argue about the solutions, right? I would like it to, us to get to a point where we are not arguing about whether hate and bias are real and instead arguing about what we do about it. Yes. That would be a huge step forward, <laughs> right? The other piece I'll say is, look, I get into it in the book about all the sort of ways we need to address this at the structural level, right? The fact that we have massive economic inequality, uh, the fact of Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and uh, you know, sexual harassment. These are structural problems that exist in our institutions and in our policies and our communities and our workplaces. And each of us can do something about it, both at that level when we can, but also it starts with ourselves. And the answer, so the opposite of hate is not love. You do not have to love someone to stop hating them. Congratulations. You don't even really have to like them. What you have to do is understand that in spite of those differences and disagreements, we share fundamental humanity, right? And yeah. deserve fundamental respect, equal respect, equal dignity. And part of the problem, it's not, again, it's not the whole answer, but part of the problem is we know that, this is a Brene Brown quote, it is hard to hate up close. So true. Right? And, or it is at least harder to hate up close. And the fact of the matter is, is we have our schools right now are more segregated than they were 20 years ago, right? Uh, three quarters of white Americans say they don't have any non-white friends. Most Hillary, strong Hillary supporters didn't know, weren't friends, didn't have a friend who was a Trump supporter and vice versa. 53% of Americans say they don't know anyone who's Muslim. That kind of non-connection allows hate and otherizing and demeaning and dehumanizing to fester and to land. So part of the solution is getting out of our boxes, out of our bubbles, connecting at deep levels, having the conversations, having honest and hard conversations. That's how we start to change. And art is such a critical step in opening that first dialogue, I feel like, because in both service of admitting that there is a challenge and then be moving towards that connected, more compassionate. Um, uh, I think that's a remarkable observation. And I'll tell you, my wife and I were having a conversation about the title. Oh. Because I... Hate it? Couldn't resist. Thank you, I was here you? for you. <laughs> uh, no, please. Just, I, I try and orient toward things that are positive. Mm. And even conceptually the opposite of hate being that, and, and it's genius once you know the book, which is what I, I, very, I think it's a very creative solution for getting us to open the book, uh, that it isn't love and that it is just showing up, being present, acknowledging that there's this an, an, an equal but maybe opposite other and not opposite in the love-hate mm -hmm. way. I think that's, uh, it's brave of you to title your book that, because I think it's, um, 
I don't know, it's potentially off-putting because it's negatively oriented. And then you share that little bit, which is like, ah, oh, people tend to orient to the negative, like you just said. So maybe there's some brilliant uh, marketing in your book title. But <laughs> when, when, if someone was just to ask you plainly, what is the opposite of hate? I, I say connection. 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 Yes. Both connection is the, it's also the solution to hate, right? Yeah. Not the complete solution, yeah. right? But in the book I talk about three kinds of connection. I talk about connection spaces, right? That we do something about the way we are segregated by class, by race, uh, by you know, immigration status, by religion. Like We need to address that. That is, goes part of the way uh, to addressing hate. The other piece mm. I talk about is connection speech. So actually how we engage with one another, that we engage with kindness and compassion. Compassion, yeah. being compassionate towards someone isn't the same thing as agreeing with them. Yeah. It's just being compassionate and kind and being open to hearing someone else's experience and letting it, letting it relate to, dance with, challenge, coexist with your own. Yeah. It's not trying to destroy someone else, right, because you disagree. Um, so connection spaces, connection speech, and then connection policies we actually do need to address uh, you know, inequality and the pay gap, and we need to address immigration policy that is propagating uh, hate and inequality in our economy and in our communities. We need to do something about, we need to rename the criminal justice system and stop calling it a criminal justice system. That's Orwellian, it is not a justice system at all. And we need to address uh, structural racism uh, and other forms of injustice within uh, the criminal system. Um, so I will say this much. The reason I liked the title uh, is, you're right, it kind of does play on that, but also it's not a destination. This is not a like, hey, I've arrived. I've figured it all out. I'm perfect. I'm right. To me, what the book is is a process of laying bare both my own struggles and the struggles I think we're all having with how we relate to one another, how we feel strong and sure in our own ideas and identities without uh, you know, attacking and undermining others, or feel attacked and under, undermined by others. And, and it's not, we're not there. I'm not there, we're not there, we yeah. may not get, but like, it's, the, it's the journey. To me, the process of wrestling with this and struggling with it and doing so hopefully in an open way is actually the point. Yeah, you I, you had a term for it in the book that I'm trying to remember right now about the journey. I, I think I'm going to try and go yeah, there. Right. It's if you we can make it up. if you Sorry. get a little bit of um, hate on you, mm. mm -hmm. it's not horrible. What you have to do is wash it off. Yeah. I think you said something. No, like that. I didn't say that. Gosh, who was it who said that in the book? Someone super smart. For yeah, sure. someone super smart. <laughs> Uh, who, uh, oh gosh, I'm like, I, in my head, I think I know who it is, but I don't want to <laughs> miss, uh, so anyway, uh, no, someone I know, uh, I think that was, uh, was on Twitter, had said that, and it's, and it's very smart, Yeah. right? Um, that it's not we, to start, we tend start, to yeah. use, here's what happens. Like I said, we have this, they started at philosophy of hate, right? So I don't wake up in the morning intending to be hateful, thinking I'm hateful. You don't wake up in the morning intending to be hateful, thinking you're hateful, but somebody does something hateful. And you feel, well, they started it, so, right? Yeah. Now, fair game. Yeah. And then you do something hateful, but you weren't the originator of the hate, and therefore your hate is somehow less bad. And we could actually argue that it is. I don't think all kinds of hate are equal. I do not think all, both sides 
are equal in, you know, right, historically and in the present in who is most responsible for perpetuating hate? And I don't think that the answer to hate is more hate. I don't think the answer to injustice is more injustice. I don't think the answer to cruelty is more cruelty. Now, I will tell you this, you can only control yourself. So my biggest takeaway from this journey, still a work in progress every day, my biggest takeaway is that that's how it works. That's how hate operates, that we all use the hate of others as the excuse. Then what I take away is, I do not want to be the excuse for someone else to be their worst self. I don't want to be the excuse for someone else to be their worst self. What I'm going to try to do, try, is to be the inspiration for others to be their best selves. And if we can each do that a little bit more, I think we would have a more kind, constructive, caring, progressive society that is progressing, yep. hopefully, able to have the conversations we need to have um, in our democracy, uh, including all of us. Yep. Uh, that's my hope. But at least that's the piece I can take responsibility for. I'm going to get real tactical. Oh, go there. Yes. How do you do that? How do you inspire others to show up as their best self instead of their worst self? Like, what does it mean when you wake up and brush your teeth? What do you do differently? Then? Well, it means I don't, for instance, I don't like, you know, people come at me with hate on the internet. I don't respond with hate, right? And I don't say, oh, well, they start, like, it doesn't, right? No. Okay. Like, it means no. It means I'm not going to do that, right? It means that I am going to try to, in hard moments, in moments where I feel triggered. I want to get defensive <laughs> or I get, I, you know, whatever it is, I, I do not like the word triggered. I'm okay. actually very proud that I only used the word triggered once in my book. Great. Very proud of that. <laughs> we could get into that some other time. Okay. But um, I'm going to try to respond with an open heart and with self-critique. I'm also, when I have conversations with people, look, we often want to... Uh, try to persuade others without being open to being persuaded ourselves, right? So I'm going to listen. I'm going to actually be open to the fact that I could be wrong or try to be, which we, are, hard, yes. we have a very hard time <laughs> doing in general, and especially in this moment where so much of our politics, small p politics, is about virtue signaling, right? Online and off and right, and it's sort of, it's very thin, and we don't actually, like the willingness to be nuanced and be wrong and be open and be, right? That's, yep. that, so it's honestly, for me, and look, again, like, come at me. Tell me all the ways I've done it imperfectly. And I have, and I do. Yes. But it's like getting up and trying every day. It is partly a spiritual practice, right, or moral practice of, like, I am going to be in the world the way I want the world to be. And it is also a practical strategy because, to your point, as someone who cares about change, I have never seen anyone change because someone hated them. I have never, it doesn't happen, right? Again, we dig in. So, you know, I yeah, never saw another good. group say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for that other side because they gotcha. just treat me like crap and like I'm so stupid. I'm going <laughs> to give their sides a real serious consideration. Like, no, right? No. No one says that. It doesn't happen like that. Said no one ever. Said no one ever. <laughs> so... Let's keep going. I'm going to push a little bit harder keep on, going. The, on the practical stuff. Oh, let's stuff. go. We can go so, super practically. Yeah, let's so, go. Let's let's talk about the ABCs. Yeah, let's. So, 
being the change that you want to see when you, someone, again, I'm framing this repeatedly here for the creators who are like, when they put something out there, and what's sort of worse than someone critiquing it is no one saying anything. <laughs> but we, we've all put I'm that not up sure there. I agree with that. <laughs> but, yeah. but all right. so th these are tactical, like you're not throwing hate back when someone comes at you. Right. You throw understanding and love or care or awareness or self awareness. Um, give me a couple others. All right, so let me, let me first say so to me, troll response 101, you have three options, okay. right? So someone attacks you online or offline or whatever, you have, th you have three reactions. One is, to do nothing. Doing nothing is a fine choice, right? Like first do no harm it is about preserving your own sanity and your sense of safety and you may not want to engage and that is okay, yep. like that's fine. Don't because want to get you're your not, heart rate up to You're not making 65. the world, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's unhealthy for you, it's unproductive, you don't feel like you can for whatever, like okay, then just ignore it. That's okay, that's option A. The second option, which a lot of people choose, is to respond with hate. Right, well, you came at me, so I come at you, and blah, 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 and right, and you know, you can do that. I'm not here to tell you what you can or can't do. I'm just telling you, That's I think you're gonna choice. feel worse. Yeah. It's gonna make you feel crappy. It's gonna make the world a worse place. It's not gonna help anyone in that, right? So that's what I, I generally don't like. Option three is to respond with some compassion and kindness, and right, again, not to, that doesn't mean to capitulate, it doesn't mean to, right? Like, I don't, this doesn't mean to lose your principles, your values, your beliefs. Yeah. But to be generous, to be caring, to be open, to be warm, um, even to be funny, right? There's some examples, and there are some examples in the book. Yeah. Look, I'm starting to get very worried about social media, to be honest, and its capacity to do good in the world, but there are some examples in the book of people who actually did, did exhibit and, and use kindness and compassion and humor as strategies online and ended up leading to some amazing change. So it is possible. I read a review of the book that says it's something, something, and sometimes funny. And I was like, <laughs> and it opens up with all this stuff. Like, how do you Thank get you. funny about this stuff? But you actually I do. Tried to, yeah, I tried to good. write a fun romp yeah. through. I mean, <laughs> listen, like, look, I wrote a book that I hope a lot of people who aren't usually engaged in these conversations yeah. can find their way into then thinking about hate in the maybe colloquial ways of the internet and school bullies and whatever, and also terrorism and yeah, genocide, and whatever, and also structural bias and implicit racial bias, and like, I think we need to be having those conversations. More tactics. Um, more tactics, Keep all right, going. so here's my, here's my favorite. Uh, this is a tactic that was given, shared with me um, by uh, Matt Kohut, Seth Pendleton, and John Neffinger. Uh, Matt Kohut and John Neffinger wrote a book called Compelling People where they outline this much more thoroughly. It is called the ABC strategy. So when, uh, we talked before about how the brain works, and when you're having a conversation with someone and they sense it's an argument, they say something you disagree with, and you argue back with them, what happens is persuasion, rational thinking parts, shut down, mm. fight or flight, turns on, pick a side, they're not picking your side, that's why you're having an argument in the first place. So that doesn't work. You can still do it if you'd like, but if you're interested in conversations that actually lead to change, that's not the way to go. So the A in ABC is not argue. It is affirm. It doesn't mean you actually have to agree with what someone's saying or their conclusions, but usually underneath our opinions aren't just facts but feelings, right? Most of us didn't come to our political or social views because we read all the research 
and form some rational idea about what was the best way to go, right? We have feelings about what's right and wrong. And I will tell you something about feelings. You can't argue with them. Feelings are valid just because they're felt, right? I learned this a lot in couples counseling. <laughs> so in couples counseling, I learned that if my partner says, um, you hurt my feelings, I can't say, no, I didn't, right? I mean, I can. <laughs> I can. I can totally say it's not going to work. That's that wrong part well, of your like, brain. They're yeah. her feelings. They're hurt. Yeah. Right? They are, feelings are valid because they are felt. So instead, it's finding something, usually at that emotional level, that you can understand, that you can even empathize with. I understand. I'm worried about the economy, too. I also, you know, I, I, I'm worried about terrorism. I'm worried about violence. I'm worried about my kids being safe at school. I'm worried about, right? You can, it's a feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling. And what that does, here's the important thing. What that does is that doesn't say to the person you're arguing with, it doesn't say you're invalid. Right? No one wants to feel that their concerns are invalid. Now, for instance, let's talk about terrorism. Right? In the United States right now, since 9-11, three quarters of terrorist acts or acts of mass violence were committed by white right-wing extremists. But the news media covers terrorist acts by Muslim extremists four times more. So people fear attacks by Muslim extremists. And we have a whole dynamic of Islamophobia and policy consequences to those fears. I think that fear is wrong. I think that is, it is, its roots misplaced, are yeah. right misplaced. But people feel it. And I can't just tell them not to feel it, right? Yeah. I mean, of course they feel it because I've been criticizing the media and the politicians, whatever, who have made them feel it. So then the fact that they feel it shouldn't surprise, like, that's why I'm criticizing the politicians and the media for doing this. So people feel it. And I can't just say your feelings are invalid. That's like saying you're invalid. So affirm the piece that you honestly and authentically can, right? We all want to be safe. We want our kids to be safe. We want to, right? The B, ABC, the B is not but. Because but, again, I learned this from couples counseling, everyone. Public service announcement. If I say, I'm sorry, but, it turns out what that means is not sorry at all. Like everything <laughs> before the but was a giant pack of lies. So you can't say that. So, uh, by the way, you also can't say however, which is the Harvard of buts. No fancy buts. The B is a bridge. You say, and that's why. Or the good news is. Or just and. Or, you know. And. And then the C is what you actually wanted to say right out of the gate, your facts, your opinion, your whatever. The C is your content or your convincing. But it's, it's starting the conversation in a way that connects, right? That's why it goes back to the idea of connection speech. Yeah. You're starting in a way of a connecting as opposed to I'm like you. attacking, demeaning, distancing, right? Yeah. Which doesn't change anyone's mind. It's very much like nonviolent communication, which... For those of you who are not in the know, it's a form of communication where you um, identify feelings, not thoughts. If you say, I think you're pissed because, versus I'm, you say something about yourself and it's a feeling because it's almost, um, there's a human connection that happens when you're talking about feelings. If you can rationalize what we're saying here, that feelings are valid because they're felt. And if you say, I feel scared or worried or upset yeah. or... Uh, and it has this very powerful way of disarming your statements such that when people, I think it, maybe it has something to do with the neuroscience, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't fire up that 
fight or flight and allows you to still be present in the right. moment. Like, oh, the person who's feel a, validated. Yeah, the person yeah. A, 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 across from me feels something that is not a good feeling because I understand that feeling. They've said that that they have that because of this moment that we're sharing together. And then when you think about, you're more open to hearing requests after you position yourself as feeling some of these negative emotions, afraid, scared, mm -hmm. hurt. I yeah. statements. Yeah. Again, couples counseling. Am I the only one in the room? Uh, anyone? Bueller? You anyone? know what's great is that my partner will never see this, so I can tell you that, for instance, she has a really hard time with I statements. Love her like crazy. Going on 16 years has a really hard time with I statements. And she'll still, she kind of gets it now, right? But she'll still be like, I don't understand why I feel like you're being an asshole isn't an I statement. And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> right, because an I statement is a, is actually about you. Yes. And to your point, it's like, can we it's be disarming? Can you... it's disarming to be honest? Yeah, and to be uh, self-effacing or self-reflective or even self-critical, and to say I'm not just and to not attack someone as being an asshole or being hateful or being this or being that or whatever. Um, because first of all, none of us are the worst thing we've ever done. None of us are also the worst thing we've ever said or thought. Worst thing we've ever, worst person we've ever voted for, I hope. Uh, and I, I'd like more people to have conversations that lead to change. So powerful. Thanks, so, man. So I, I'll let you have the hook now for, you gave us some very nice I tried. I mean, you've got to buy the book to get the rest. I can't, let me, let's just, shall I read shall to we? it for you? <laughs> yeah. And page Come one. Um, <laughs> advice for people who, want to put themselves into a position where you have put yourself. I think you put yourself out there. It's a very, whether these are teachers or, again, in, in our case, creators who have something to say and want to put themselves out there in a way. Was there some uh, hurdles that you had to go over? Like, what was your own personal hmm. journey? On, Still hurdling a man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have been hearing, one of the things I love, the most about this process of coming out with the book um, is hearing what it means to people and hearing people's stories and struggles and um, and I have just been hearing story after story of how people are trying to do this in small and in bigger ways. So friends who you know lifelong friends who broke apart over the last election who have decided that what they're going to do is start once a month they're going to pick a divisive issue, a hot issue, and research both sides. They're both going to research both sides and have a conversation about it. Wow. Just and how they feel and try and get into the nuance and right and a real conversation with you know kindness and compassion. Right? That's you know a, a, a teacher in a high school who you know look like says like look I'm this is where my politics are. That's, I'm putting it on the table. Now it's off the table, and we're going to all discuss. We're going to talk about it. We're going to like. We're going to have viewpoints. We're going to have to make the argument of the other side. What do you think is a good point in the other side's view? Right? Like, how can we? Right? People who are coming together to say, "Look, I want to have these struggles through art. Can we contribute in some way to right in deep and meaningful, meaningful. ways?" Yeah. Deep and meaningful ways where I think we hopefully can model, and I do think this is where artists can do this, where we can model a healthy democracy 
decency Rue. and beauty and yeah and, and kindness narrative and, compassion and conversation and the yeah. recognition of mutual humanity and uh, through the way that we engage and produce then art and content in general that then shows that I mean I, I'm thinking of another there's a wonderful video that a group I work with Mike uh, did where they had a uh, you know a conversation between an NRA supporter and a you know student who was organizing for gun control reform like having and and honestly creating whatever the issue whatever the topic we're not doing it well in mass media and we're not doing it well in social media right it needs it needs intimacy sensitivity individual nuance yeah. sophisticated right it needs um, and I think that is where art can look art breaks us open it does. I will be honest art breaks us open and we are a broken country in a lot of ways right now where each of us needs to be broken open to that brokenness in a way if we're going to heal that just keep going back to Brene's work like mm. laying yourself open and um, and being willing to be vulnerable or raw as you talked about earlier I think that's such a huge piece yeah. of making this a successful dialogue that, and it does go back to how you can articulate your own point of view if you start from I statements and about your feelings rather than your thoughts or your, your political points. Is there a, what has been your biggest challenge on, so you talked about, <laughs> but you know, we've, we've all, you, you mentioned what a challenge was. What do you think your biggest challenge has been in writing this book? Oh, I mean, really, how much time do we have? You know, I think um, we all struggle between the, in the space between intention and impact, right? And and I think there are like people, this. especially who have had the history of privilege and entitlement, to think that intent is all that matters, and it it isn't. It isn't. Um, in fact, you look at sort of civil rights cases and Supreme Court rulings, and it was a big deal when there was a sort of historic ruling where it said, look, it's not just a matter of intent. Like, it doesn't, you don't have to have just intended to discriminate based on gender or intended to discriminate on race, but if you have what is called in the court rulings disparate impact, then that is enough proof of injustice. So, and the same is true in our individual interactions and our interactions in work and as bosses and supervisors and managers and parents and friends and people in public and artists and whatever is, Intent, right, isn't the same as impact. So I think that means in those moments that each of us needs to own the impact of our words, our deeds, our ideas, our thoughts, our work, and also, hopefully, be graceful, kind, and generous to others in their intent. Right, so like I, a lot of people I know think Trump supporters all intend to be racist and Islamophobic and, you know, hateful and blah, blah, blah. And some certainly do. I will tell you, most don't. Most don't. That doesn't mean that the impact of some of the policies and sure. politics that they've supported doesn't mean that doesn't have that impact. But hopefully we can get to a point where we can start to have new, nuanced conversations about hate in our society and hate in each of us where we can recognize, again, it goes back to paradoxes. Like this isn't a, I'm so sorry, I wish I'd written a simpler book where I solved it all, <laughs> but this isn't hard, this is hard. This is hard. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna be hard. Um, and I still think it's the work worth doing. If there are um, 
Well, it's my goal that these conversations are a long form and then give space for these yeah. more complicated conversations. I love that. You and I have both done a lot of television, and you realize you're you get three and a half minutes. That's a long segment, and like <laughs> trying to put all your words in a small amount of space, and it just doesn't. Yeah, three and a half good. minutes with like five other people, and yes. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so it's my hope that this is you can point to this conversation and say this is what I mean because it's an hour long or whatever, yeah. and I got to say the things that I wanted to say. So I love this. What, Awesome. I love that you do this, and, I, and I, I remain a big fan. And uh, thank you. And Mary. I'm gonna. What was it? Creative curious. I yes. love that. I'm gonna. <laughs> I might like. I might change that to my Twitter profile. <laughs> Creative curious. I'll take it. Right? Yeah. So, but what have has been missing from this conversation that you would have wanted or want to be in it, so that you can point to this conversation and say, I got everything in that thing that I wanted to have in there. Oh, no, what? man, he was phenomenal discussant. This is, this is discussant? extraordinary. Discussant. I mean, I uh, yeah, it. it was, a, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, I think th there's an open question that got put on the table, and I'm not necessarily, right, this is maybe our chapter two of this, right, like this conversation, but, you know, there are, s creatives have always been artists, writers, thinkers, right, public space practitioners have always been important to shaping public discourse and modeling, ideally, either constructive or destructive public yeah. discourse. Mm -hmm. And I think going forward, like this to me is, an, is a wonderful open question, where I feel like I am just starting to see bits and pieces of what's possible, hear more and more of examples. I'd love to hear more of where people are in their work, in their creativity, in their process, trying to wrestle with how to fight hate, be the opposite of hate with their voices and their tools, I, I think that is, like, that's a wonderful space for people to lean into. Amazing. Thanks, man. Thank you so Thanks much for, for being wonderful. on the show. And we all have a lot to learn. Uh, a good place to start is with this book. It's incredible. Congratulations on Thank having you. such an impact. I, we have a lot of friends in the same circles, and it's fun to watch your work just be front and center in a lot of their shows and programs, and uh, it's going to be awesome. I appreciate so that. Timely. Thank you so much. So timely. And that's a wrap for the show. It looks like we'll see you again probably tomorrow, maybe even sooner. Maybe you're going to watch the next video. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. 
I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow. And I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.